I'm going to start a new uh, series this weekend, and I'll go two more weeks after this to do a three-part series called uh, Listening Prayer in Bounds. And you say, Listening Prayer in Bounds, what, what is that all about? What does that mean? Well, on the one hand, many of us here, isn't this true? Many of us here have experienced hearing God's voice and experienced it to be a, a wonderful thing. Is that true? How many of you here have experienced hearing God, and it's been a wonderful thing for you? Yeah. And it's been life. And I'm going to share some stories with you from my own life, crossroads in my life, where uh, God speaking to me has really helped me and transformed me and brought life into my life. So on the one hand, hearing God is life and it's wonderful and it's good and it's amazing. But on the other hand, okay, many of us also probably know of some people or some instances where someone thought they heard God or said they heard God and the things they did weren't so wonderful. Or the things they did didn't turn out wonderful. And so we've got these two sides. On the one hand, yes, we have some experience of God's voice being wonderful. And on the other hand, there have been many stories in the church of things that were done in the name of what people thought was God. And it was not wonderful. And so what I'm going to do in this series is I want to give you uh, five guidelines over the next three weeks, this week and into the next two. Um, But five guidelines, some boundaries to make are seeking of God's voice and to hear his voice and listening to him safe. And these guidelines are going to be taken out of the Bible. I've got a bunch of, uh, God has just shown me a bunch of stories in the Bible that are just so helpful. And uh, so we're going to read some long Bible stories today. We're going to do a couple and next week we'll do some more. But uh, we're going to pull out of these stories, we're going to pull some biblical principles, how to seek God's voice, how to listen for God's voice. And these principles are not going to suppress you from hearing God's voice. I know that sometimes if you hear a message or a message series that has, puts boundaries on something, those boundaries sometimes suppress you. They keep you from doing that thing as much as you want to. That's not what this series is going to do. This series is going to release you to listen to God more. It's going to release you to hear God more because you're going to feel safe. These biblical boundaries are going to keep you from major lapses in judgment. What I'm going to speak today in the next couple of weeks is going to keep some of you from doing some dumb things, okay? And it's going to make some of you feel safe. I mean, some of you I know feel gun shy. You feel a little gun shy because some of those experiences you've seen other people have, you might feel a little gun shy about listening to God. Or you may feel a little gun shy about what your spouse thinks they're hearing from God, all right? And so this series is going to give guidelines to keep you safe, keep you from major lapses in judgment. And when you know these guidelines, okay, you're going to have a confidence that you can seek God and hear his voice accurately and clearly, okay? And uh, so throughout this time, today we're only going to get into guideline number one. We're not even going to finish it, but we're going to get into guideline number one. But through everything that we're talking about today, I want you to remember something, because we'll talk about some of the negative sides of things too, and some of the boundaries and all sorts of stuff. I want you to remember in all of it that hearing God's voice is life, all right? Matthew 4, verse 4, Jesus said this. Jesus told him, he's speaking to Satan, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Hearing God's voice is life, Okay? And so I want you to remember that. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. I'm going to pray for the series and today. And then we'll get going. Heavenly Father, I want to first of all praise you, glorify you, and thank you that you are not like the gods of other religions. That you do actually speak. You are actually alive. And that you are a compassionate and kind God who talks to us. And I thank you for that. I thank you for in my own life. Father, I feel so blessed. And the things that you've led me to do that sometimes I didn't want to do at first. And now I'm so glad that I did them and that you talked to me about them. And 
We want in this series, Father, I want to release people to hear you with righteousness and clarity and godliness, to draw closer to you, to follow you, and to find out that your plans are for us to prosper. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to start this uh, message in this series off with a personal story. I I shared it several years ago, um, but many of you weren't here then. And uh, plus, I want to highlight some things at the end that I didn't have a chance to the last time I shared it. Um, But again, the point of this is I just want to show you a time when I was at a crossroads in my life. And I want to show you how God speaking to you is actually really wonderful, really, really good, and uh, turns out for your best. And uh, back in uh, the fall of 1998, I was in my second year of of university. I was attending university at Trinity Western University in uh, Langley, B.C. there. That's close to Vancouver. And I was majoring in math and minoring in physics and dabbling in philosophy and had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Okay, and we all know that for those of us who are more than 20 years old, there's, that, there's those years in the late teens and the early 20s when you're trying to figure out, you're making big decisions of the direction of your life and you're trying to figure out, what am I going to do with my life? And I was at that stage, what am I going to do with my life? And I didn't know. And in the fall of 1998, I, I got real interested in some of the physics courses I was taking. And uh, I already knew by that point, long knew that I was not good with my hands or really pretty much anything that's practically good for anything on this earth. And so I thought, well, if I'm not good for anything on this planet, I should study other planets. And so I got this interest in uh, astronomy. And there was just one university in all of Canada at that time, I don't know what it's like now, but that offered a degree in astronomy. And so, uh, and that was at the University of Toronto, which is uh, in Toronto. And uh, and so I got the application forms and, and uh, filled them all out. It cost about, a, about a, I think it was $100 or something like that to apply at that time uh, to the U of T, and, which to me was a fortune at that time. But filled out all the applications, got them sent in. By now it was January of 1999. And, uh, and I started to get excited. I'm like, I'm, I'm okay, I'm, I think I'm getting some direction in my life. It seems like kind of a, a neat job. I mean, it doesn't sound like I have to work too hard. Basically, you look at the sky all the time, and, and this just sounds cool. And, uh, and so I, I, you know, I, I was excited about where I was going. And at the same time that this was going on, I felt like I was getting some direction in my life. I should also mention that I had made three promises to all my friends out there. I said, uh, one thing is I will, I'll never go to the University of Manitoba. And I said I would, I would never become a pastor Never, I would never do that. And I would also never marry a girl from Steinbeck. So uh, this is all going on at the same time. And uh, I was also around this time, I was really starting to develop my walk with, with the Lord. I had grown up in a Christian home. Obviously, as most of you know, Pastor Ray is my dad. Uh, so, I mean, for those of you who aren't praying for me, you need to maybe start. But uh, um, so I'd grown up always knowing Jesus and I had a relationship with him, but there's just something when you get into your early twenties and you start to stand on your own two feet. And so I was starting to really develop a deeper walk with him. And so one of the habits I was developing at that time over there at Trinity was, uh, every night before I would go to bed, I would spend an hour, uh, prayer walking on the campus. They had a beautiful campus. So just those, I mean, the mountains are there and the, those big West coast trees and they had some footpaths in the, in the forest around the campus there. And, and so I would, I would prayer walk for an hour and talk to God and try to listen to God and, and build that relationship. And I was learning to love him and obey him and follow him. And, and, uh, and I'm excited about the path my life is taking. And I'll never forget then this one night in February. And I wish I had journaled better back then. I wish I knew the exact date, but it was sometime in February of 1999. I, I was out on a prayer walk the one day again, happy about where I'm going in life, enjoying my walk with the Lord, and, and all of a sudden, I, I knew God was speaking to me. And you say, well, how did you know God was speaking to you? Well, 
Uh, it wasn't an audible voice. It wasn't in my physical ears. It also wasn't even a word of thought or a picture. We talk a lot about words, thoughts, and pictures here at Sullivan. It was uh, uh, sometimes in my life, I've had various times at different crossroads in my life, and I get this kind of constriction in my chest that usually has to do with God telling me to do something I don't want to do, okay? And it's like, it's just, I just feel it. And I know he's speaking to me, and it's not a stream of words. It's not sentences. It's not a vision. In an instant, I just knew something. I knew a whole bunch of things in one split second. I knew, first of all, that God's plan for me was not to go to the U of T and to study astronomy, which in itself wouldn't have been so bad. I mean, if he would have called me to some, something exotic, like send me to Africa or Asia or have me do something exciting. I was 20 years old. I had wanderlust. I wanted to go see the world and do various things. And so I would have left astronomy for any of those things. But one place, Lord, do not call me to go back to Steinbeck. That just seems, for a 20-year-old, it just seemed boring. And I thought I had bigger things I wanted to do with my life. But in that instant, I knew you're not going to go to U of T and study astronomy. You're going to go back and you're going to go to Steinbeck. And I, and I fought it. I, I didn't even want to say that I was fighting God. I wanted to wrestle and say that, that I wasn't hearing God. I wanted, that, I wanted this to be uh, some kind of a, a rib problem. I needed to go see a chiropractor or something. I, I wanted it to be something but not God. And I, I wrestled for a long time. If anybody would have been watching me, it was dark. And uh, they would have thought I probably had some kind of emotional or mental problems. I was talking to myself and pacing. And, uh, but I knew already at that point in my life, I knew from other encounters I'd had with God, I knew that, that uh, I would have no peace uh, so long as I resisted him. And I, I'll never forget standing, finally standing. There's this one place in the campus that is huge. There's one huge tree and the branches just seem to go up forever. Just beautiful tree. And I, I ended up standing in front of this tree. I can still see the trunk there. And I just finally said, I, I said, God, I give up. I'll, I'll do whatever you want. And I wish I could say now that I was a happy give up. You know, I surrender, tears strolling down my face, and I'm so happy to follow you. It wasn't that. It was, I give up. I, I can't beat you. And, uh, and so I gave up. But I wasn't happy about it. I remember phoning my parents shortly thereafter, and, and I, was, I was almost depressed. I was discouraged. I told my dad. I remember telling this exact conversation. I said to him, but, you know, if I come back and go to the U of M, like, what if I never leave? What if, I, I, I just wish I could have seen myself now, uh, 13 years later. What if I never leave? And he was so gracious. Oh, of course, you'll leave someday and all this sort of stuff. And, and, uh, and so I went through the rest of the school year and I obeyed. I was, but I wasn't happy about it. I obeyed. I finished the school year. I went tree planting in the summer. And then I moved to Winnipeg. And now 13 years later, I, I wish, and started coming back to church here at Southland, I wish I could go back in time and give myself a shake in the past. And the reason I wish I could give myself a shake is something that I know so clearly now, and that is all over the Bible, and that is this, that when God talks to you, it's always for your good. And I wish I would have thought of that then. It wouldn't have been such a big baby about it for a few months. Because Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. By the way, this verse right here is... Probably exhibit number A, verses in the Bible, why it's so important for us to be listening to God. If you don't listen to God, you're going to miss out. And so, yes, God will sometimes call you to do things that you feel are painful in the short term. There's no question he'll sometimes ask us to do things that are painful. But always, 100% of the time, in all of his speaking to us, it is always for our good. And I was not latching on to that at the time, and I was moping, and I was obeying reluctantly. But do you know that within, in God's goodness, again, he, he, he's just so patient with us. And he sees us moping and stuff, and he says, I still want to bless you. And you know that within 
three months of me coming back here, and I just thought, oh, me, oh, my, and here I am, and I had all these dreams of being someone special and somewhere exotic, and, and three months after I'd come back here, I was at a young adults event at a bowling alley, and I met the sexiest woman on the face of the planet. <laughs> her name is LaDawn. I'm so glad I met her, and I'm so glad it was a glow bowling night, and it was dark, because I don't think otherwise she would have talked to me, but... Uh, <laughs> So I talked to her three months after that. We were dating. And the year after that, we were, we were married. And now, since then, we're going up on 10 years of marriage now this summer. I've got three beautiful kids, Joy and Charlie and Eden, who I just love. And if, if myself from 13 years ago or someone could take me back there and say, at that crossroads in front of that big tree on the TWU campus 13 years ago, would you consider making a different choice if you had to do it over? And I would say, not on your life. Not on your life. I've got this family. I've got my best friend married to me. I have a job that I absolutely love. I love getting up in the morning and coming to work here. It's great. I've got a church I love. I love being around family. You know, Vancouver and these places, and they can have their mountains and their mild winter and the endless coastline and the wildlife and all this sort of stuff. They can have it. <laughs> I don't want it. I'm happy to be here in Steinbach. But God's plans are for us to prosper. You know, I've spent the last month of prayer and fasting month. It's been one of those things that God put on my mind to think back to this one particular crossroads. And, and I've imagined, how would my life have been different if I wouldn't have made that choice to follow God? And I don't know what all would have happened with me, but I know it wouldn't be anything like where I'm at right now. And I would never trade. God's voice is life. It's life. But like I said before, on the other hand, right, there's this other hand. I also know of a young man, actually this same story has been repeated in several different scenarios that I've seen and people I've known over the years, but I know of one young man, and he felt God telling him to marry this girl, and then she ran off on him with another guy. He hasn't recovered spiritually yet. And it's stories like that, and people question, why would God tell me to do something that ends up bad? Or if that wasn't God speaking to me, who was it? Does God even really exist? And some of these experiences cause people to leave the faith and be shaken. Think of another person I know, felt strongly God calling them to take a particular job. And then the company where they took that job fell into a huge scandal. And this person got all caught up in it and embroiled in controversy. So you question, what is God doing? How did I miss that? Does he exist? Does he love me? So we've got life. We need life. And on the other hand, we're a little afraid. So I want to get into these guidelines now. And guideline number one, I'm just going to start with a story. I told you I was going to read you lots of, lots of Bible stories in this series. Is the famous story of Gideon, Judges chapter 6. I'm just going to start reading it and you'll see what the first guideline is as we get going. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? 
My clan is the weakest of the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Now watch this next point here. Gideon replied, If you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. I want to just stop there for a moment. We're going to finish the story. Gideon is about to stick out his neck. God says, I want you to go and attack the Midianites. I want you to go and defeat the Midianites. And Gideonite goes, whoa, that could cost me my life. That could cost me, that could cost my family their lives. And so he says something very interesting. He says, before I stick out my neck to do something like this, I better be sure that this is really God speaking to me and not yesterday's pizza or a dual personality that is springing up inside of me. I want to make sure that this is God. He's looking for confirmation. Now, this is actually the first confirmation he's going to look for. He's going to look for three more in this story. I'm going to read them all to you. And one of the things I want you to notice right from the beginning to the end is I want you to notice that at no point does God get angry at him or rebuke him for looking for confirmation. He wants to make sure. God understands. You're going to put your life on the line. I'm glad to give you more confirmation if you need it, Gideon. In fact, that's a wise request. Before you do something like this, you want to make sure it's not just you dreaming something up or imagining something. Let's keep reading and see what happens. So here's the first confirmation Gideon asks for. It says this, don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered, and as Jesus answered, the angel of the Lord, I will stay here until you return. So Gideon hurried home and he cooked a young goat. Now I want you to think about this. Think of the patience of the Lord Jesus right now. He tells Gideon to do something. Gideon says, I want confirmation. He's going to run home and cook, cook, cook up a young goat. Now I want you to think about this. This is back in the olden days. He's not microwaving up, you know, a McCain's young goat here. <laughs> One minute, bring it back, run it out to Jesus, Okay. Okay, so he leaves Jesus on a rock, okay, runs home. He's got to kill this goat and skin it and whatever else. He's going to put on a roaster and sit there, chestnuts roasting over an open fire, whatever it is. Okay, he's also going to make some bread. And with a basket of flour, he bakes some bread without yeast. Okay, this is going to take some hours. Then, carrying the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who's under the great tree. And look at this. The angel of the Lord waits there the entire time. Look at the patience and graciousness of God. He says, you need confirmation? God, I'm asking you to do a big thing, Gideon. I'm glad to give you confirmation. And he waits there all afternoon for him. So Gideon brings all this stuff back, and he's still there. Then the angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread with the tip of the staff in his hand, and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he had brought. So there's his first sign that this is really God speaking to him, right? And the angel of the Lord disappeared, and when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Okay? Now after this happens, okay, God gives Gideon a little warm-up assignment. He says, before you take on the thousands of Midianite soldiers, uh, you know, just a little practice warm-up here. What I first want you to do is I want you to go and tear down your father's Asherah pole because his father, his whole family worshipped idols. And so Gideon goes and does that. And after that, he says, good job, Gideon. Now we're back to, I want you to go and deliver Israel from the, the hordes of Midianite soldiers. And so Gideon says, okay, I, I know I've gotten one confirmation from you, Lord, but I, I, just need, I just need to make sure. This is real risky what you're asking me to do. I need to really make sure that you're in this and that you're going to help me, okay? Verse 36, then Gideon said to God, if 
you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you have promised. Prove it to me in this way. I'll put out a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened when Gideon got up early the next morning. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. So first, second, confirmation number two, he leaves a fleece blanket out there, comes in the morning, the ground is totally dry, the fleece is soaking wet. That's pretty good confirmation. I think based on that, I would be pretty confident, okay? But remember, again, Gideon's scared for his life. He, these hordes are just in the other valley close to his place there. It's a massive army. And he wants to make sure that this wasn't some freak event of nature that happens every couple of months or so, okay? So he thinks, like, you know what? Let's just flip it. Let's make sure, okay? One more confirmation, Lord. Don't be angry. Look at this. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night, again, look at the patience of God, okay? That night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. So now Gideon's like, okay, I got three confirmations. I'm going to go and take on the Midianites. And so he gathers up a big army, and of course, that's the famous story. God says, your army's too big. I don't like it. And he pairs it down to 300. So now Gideon's got this tiny little band of crazy men, and they're going to take on the Midianite hordes, okay? Night before the attack, okay? Night before the attack. Go ahead to chapter 7 here, verse 9. That night the Lord said, get up, go down to the Midianite camp. So it's time for you to do what I've told you to do, for I've given you victory over them. But, now watch this. Gideon's already gotten three confirmations. I want you to notice now he's going to get a fourth confirmation. This time it's not even him asking for it. God in his goodness is offering it to him. This is a patient, wonderful God we serve. Okay? God says, but if you are afraid to attack, Okay, if you would like more confirmation, one more again. I know you're about to go in a big battle. You are obeying me. I'm so pleased with you. If, if you are still afraid, I want to make sure you go into this with confidence that you know I'm in this. I want you to go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling. So now there's thousands of tents, and he creeps up to this one tent, this foreign soldier, okay? And he's listening. And right as he creeps up, okay? Now we're going to get some circumstantial confirmation in here yet. Right as he creeps up, he hears a man telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. I want you to hear what his companion... Imagine you're Gideon now. You're on the outside of a tent out of thousands and thousands of tents of foreign soldiers, and you're listening to this now. Listen to this. His companion answered, well, your dream can only mean one thing. It can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, the son of Joash, and they name your name. Gideon's eyes are going... God has given Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. And Gideon goes, yes. And Pura goes, shh, we're still in the camp. <laughs> Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation. He bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. I want you to see four points of confirmation that Gideon got, okay? First, he gets his meal burned up. Second, he gets a wet fleece on dry ground. Third, he gets a dry fleece on wet ground. Fourth, he comes to this tent of this foreigner who doesn't know him, and he hears this guy relating a dream about how he's going to defeat them. Okay? 
Now, two things I want you to take out of this. One I've already been saying over and over and over again, and I want you to get this into your head. God does not at any point get mad at Gideon for asking for confirmation. In fact, God himself is the one who offers it to him. And the last one, as we just saw already, Judges 7, 10 to 11. But if you, Gideon, are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah. I mean, what a good God we serve, right? Now, here's the second thing I want you to hear from this. And now we're going to make this intensely practical, okay? If Gideon needed four points of confirmation before he put his life on the line, when he was talking to Jesus face to face, how much more... Do you and I need to look for confirmation when all we're getting is a word, a thought, or a picture? I want you to think about this. This point right now that I'm telling you is going to save some of you from catastrophes later in your life or right now. Because some of you might be sitting there today and you feel like you got a word from the Lord for someone else that you know, some directive word, something that you think God's telling them. And don't you think it would be wise before you share that word that maybe you should get a little confirmation? And maybe some of you here today, you're just about to quit your job or sell your house or make some other big decision based on something you think you heard God say. And don't you think it would be wise to look for a little confirmation first? Because here's the thing. If it's really God speaking to you, first of all, there's no rush. And second of all, if it's really God speaking to you, he'll be glad to give you all the confirmation you need. He'll be glad to confirm his word. In fact, did you know that God expects you to test the things you're hearing from him to make sure they're from him? He doesn't expect you to just jump up and go the moment you think you hear his voice. He expects you to test it. Look at this, 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. So just because a thought comes into your head doesn't mean it's from God. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now many people have taken this passage and only applied it to other people. And it's certainly true that this this passage does apply to other people. Certainly when someone else is sharing with you something, a word from the Lord or something that they think God's saying, we need to test the spirits of what's being said there. But do we not think that this also applies to us? Do we just trust? Jeremiah says that the human heart is, is deceitful and desperately wicked. Are we just going to trust every thought that comes out of a deceitfully wicked heart? No. We should test every spirit and not automatically assume that just because a thought came into our head is from God. Look at what 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21 says. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. These, These lines right there for all the cessationists out there today who say that, you know what, people have abused the voice of God, so we're just not going to listen to God anymore. We're not going to believe in the prophetic. And Paul says... Do not quench the spirit like that. Do not despise prophecies. Yes, some people have abused it, but there's still so much good in there in life that you need. Don't despise it. Just because people have gone overboard or you've made a mistake in the past or you've gotten hurt. But look what he says next. Test everything. Test everything you think God's saying. And only hold fast to what is good. Now some of you might be sitting there and you might be freaking out a little bit right now and you might think, well, if I can't trust everything that's coming out of my wicked heart... How will I know if anything is from God? Well, next week, I'm going to give you, like I said, I'm going to give you five tests. But I want to repeat to you again, these tests are not going to make it complicated. Some of you are thinking, oh, I'm going to have to remember these five tests all the time. No, many of you who have been walking with God for some time already, you do these five things second nature already. These are not hard tests, but you've got to know them so you can have confidence in discerning with accuracy. But before I get to these tests, 
there's some more background information we need. And I want to spend the rest of this message looking at four reasons why we need to get confirmation when we think we're hearing from God. I want to show you four reasons. Because we've over-spiritualized this thing of hearing God's voice. And because we've over-spiritualized it, we've got these distorted pictures of how God speaking to us and how it works. So I want to show you four reasons why you can't just automatically assume that everything that comes into your mind is from God. Four reasons we need to look for confirmation whenever we think we're hearing from God. And the first reason is this, because we're human. In other words, we make mistakes. Okay? How many of you here today, by the way, just, I just, this is not a trick question. How many of you here today are human beings? <laughs> There's actually some people in the back there that are not human beings. That's... <laughs> I'm going to call BBC and get them to do something on you and do a special and new kinds of uh, animals. But anyway, because we're human, we all make mistakes. We make mistakes at everything. We make mistakes at absolutely everything we touch and do. In the things we think, in the things we say, in the things we're good at and things we're not good at. We stumble and trip and make mistakes. That's part of life. Why would we not think that it wouldn't be possible to sometimes also make a mistake in what we think God's speaking to us? I mean, we make mistakes even in what people we can see and physically touch. When we're talking to each other, we make mistakes in what we hear each other saying. So why would we over-spiritualize the thing of hearing God and think that we couldn't sometimes make mistakes in what we think He's telling us? I'm not even talking here about demons or counterfeit gifts or anything sinister or dark. I'm just talking about the fact that sometimes you just plain blow it. You think you heard God and you heard it wrong. That's one reason why we need to seek for confirmation. You know, uh, uh, speaking of making mistakes, even what we just hear each other saying, uh, for ages now I've wanted a clock in our basement. It's kind of pathetic now that I tell the story that I wanted a clock for ages and just didn't do something about it. But anyway, um, (laughs) several weeks ago, my wife and I were at Walmart, sorry, and uh, we picked up a $5 clock, okay, because I've just wanted this clock down there for ages, because I never know what time it is down there. I'm down there early in the morning studying and writing, doing message prep and different things, and, and so we got this clock, and so we come home, and, uh, and so I ask her, I want to make sure that this clock is going in the right spot, and I say to her, you know, which wall do you want this clock to be put on, hun? And so she tells me the wall very clearly, and I go downstairs, and I look at the wall, and then I go, okay, now, is she going to want it centered between this and this, or this and this? Okay? So I go back upstairs. I'm going to get confirmation. And I say to her, babe, gorgeous, lovely, (laughs) would you like this clock centered on this part of the wall or this part of the wall? And she says, well, this part of the wall. And I say, great. And I go downstairs. For many of you guys, this would be a 15 or 20 second job. For me, it was 15 or 20 minutes. (laughs) But I did it myself with my own tools. And I put it up. Thank you. Thank you. $5 clock. I put this clock up. It looks so good. I'm proud of myself. I head back upstairs. I say, come on down, honey, and, and look at this clock that your man has put up for you in the basement. My handyman. And uh, she comes down. First thing out of her mouth. She's not even to the bottom of the stairs. She says, you put it on the wrong wall. I said, woman, I asked you twice. I put it exactly where you told me to put it. And I didn't tell you to put it on that wall. I told you to put it on that wall. I said, what? I mean... Now, if we can make a mistake like that with double confirmation on a person who's right there in the flesh, how on earth do we think we're never going to make mistakes with God speaking to us? Of course we're going to make mistakes. Okay? Chris Puhat shared with me, by the way, this guy is just plain weird, okay? He told me yesterday, okay, he's got a bit of a prophetic gifting. 
This is what he told me yesterday after the message. And I said, I'm never going to hear anything from you ever again and trust it. But anyway, he thought last year in spring, I'm going to do a little experiment and see how accurate my hearing God is. And he, and he does some listening prayer and he decides and he writes down a prophetic word of what he thinks the weather is going to be like. This is last summer. And he writes down that it's going to be the driest uh, year, you know, one of the driest years on record. Now, I don't even know if I need to comment on that, but we all know that we've got ground saturation levels right now that are like off the chart records, okay? And uh, so he's totally wrong, but we, we just get it wrong, right? Uh, another story I shared uh, a few years ago, and I'll just share it again now, but I just want you to see that we're human. We've got to hold these words from the Lord a little more loosely, with a little more humility. But I remember uh, November 2004, I'm in the back there. We hadn't even added the, uh, the second edition uh, here in the building. I'm at the back there. At that time, I was running the young adults, and I'm praying for the young adults. I spent an hour at the back. I set aside my schedule an hour. I wanted to pray through some things and get God's guidance. I wanted to have some breakthrough with the young adults. And I spent an hour praying. Right at the end of the hour, okay, I get one of these thunderbolt thoughts. That some of you, have, you've experienced this too, where you're praying about one thing, and all of a sudden, this thought out of nowhere comes. And sometimes it's God speaking, right? And I get this thought, you're, you're, you're going to have, you're about to have three kids and they're all going to be boys and you're going to call them Caleb, Silas, and Joshua. And I go, now you have to realize here, first of all, at that point in 2004 there, LaDawn still wasn't sure if she ever wanted to have kids, okay? We were not planning to have kids. I mean, I always wanted to have kids. And whenever I would hear LaDawn say something about, I don't know if I ever want kids, I'd be praying, in, you know, the next morning, Jesus, you got to work on her. <laughs> and so I get this word and I'm we have three little boys, okay? I don't tell her, okay? God's plan to give us kids. I'm planning to have kids. She can plan whatever she wants, but we're going to have some kids. <laughs> and there's some wisdom in that for you two husbands. You can just mark that down. You don't have to tell her everything that God's telling you. But anyway, well, anyway, God did. God, he was speaking to me because one month later, she was pregnant. Now, we didn't know the next month. Two months. We didn't find out until two months later. In January, she's sick all the time in the morning. She phones her doctor. And, and says, you know, I'm feeling sick all the time. I got to come in. I got to get some, you know, something's wrong with me. And the doctor says, well, check if you're pregnant. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not pregnant. We're not planning to be pregnant. Little does she know in the background what's happening with me. And uh, <laughs> she says, okay, fine. The doctor says, I won't see you unless you get a pregnancy test. She goes and gets a pregnancy test. She's pregnant. She tells me in the evening. And uh, I'm like, ka-ching, yes. <laughs> and then I don't tell her yet. I wait a couple weeks till she's over the shock of it. She's getting used to this thing. I'm going to be a mom and we're going to be parents. And then, uh, and then I tell her, you know, actually, I knew all along you were going to get pregnant. And uh, this is what God told me. We're about to, you, you have a boy right now. We're going to call him Caleb. She says, sweet. Okay, we're going to have three boys. So carry on through the pregnancy. It's about just a few weeks before Caleb is going to be born. And, um, and one night I come, uh, I come into the bedroom at night to go to bed. And she says to me, I, I know we're having a boy. I know we're naming him Caleb, but I just had this weird thought while I was praying. I think it was God, but if, if it's all of a sudden a girl, we're going to call her Joy. And I said, oh, sweet, we're going to have a fourth kid yet. At the end of this, we're going to have a girl, we're going to call her Joy. I said, amen, yeah, I love that name. That's a great name. Filed away for a few years down the road, right? We go on, fast forward ahead, September 25th, 11 o'clock at night, we head into Bethesda Hospital, and uh, we're in the hospital at 5 o'clock, um, Monday morning, September 26th, and here comes little Caleb, and out he comes with a birth canal, and so cute and beautiful at that time, and uh, out he comes, and he's missing something. <laughs> oh. Oh. I was staggered. And you know, so we've had three kids now. We just had our third one. I thought we were having three boys, Caleb, Silas, and Joshua. We've got Joy, Charlie, and Eden now, okay? And 
So what happened? People say, what happened there? Well, I just got it wrong. Now, did God speak to me? He did. I mean, a month after he spoke to me, she was pregnant. I mean, I heard something from God, but somewhere in my humanness, it just got all distorted and weird and messed up. And some people are really bothered by that. I remember I had a woman come after I shared this story the first time a couple years ago. She came up to me and she said, well, maybe, maybe you were right. Maybe, you know, maybe it's just going to come yet. And, and I said to her, I, I don't think so. I mean, the chances are very low because the Don has told me she will not bear me more children than will fit in a minivan and we only have one seat left. <laughs> so unless the next one's triplets, then I'm going to preach another message and say, I was right all along. <laughs> okay? That'll be a whole other message, new series about how I'm just incredibly accurate. But no, we just make mistakes, <laughs> right? We make mistakes. And so for that reason alone, that's enough reason right there for us to hold the things we think we're hearing from God a little loosely. We need to get confirmation before we make big decisions based on what we think we're hearing from God. Second reason we need to always look for confirmation when we think we're hearing from God is because God wants us to depend on Him and others. Okay? God wants us to depend on Him and others. Okay? Here's what I mean. God intentionally, when He speaks to us, He intentionally speaks to us in vague. He makes His voice vague and fuzzy. He leaves holes and gaps in information. He does that purposely. God could speak to us totally clearly, couldn't he? I mean, he did it in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, he sends down a disembodied hand to write on the wall a message for the king of Babylon. Okay? He could do that for each of us. He, he knows the future. He could every day put a piece of... You wake up in the morning, there's a piece of paper on the, on the dresser beside your bed, and there are five points for the day. Precisely what's going to happen, precisely what you need to do when it happens. He could, God could totally do that. He could communicate with us that specifically. But he doesn't. Why? Because he knows that if he gave us that kind of explicit instruction of what's going to happen and what we need to do, we would not need to depend on him. If he gave you that kind of instruction, you would need to spend hours agonizing, pressing into his presence, holding on to him, learning to surrender your life to him and trust him in dark places. You'd never have to do that. So he intentionally speaks to us in a little bit vague and fuzzy ways so we can never be 100% sure that we're 100% accurately hearing exactly what's going to happen and what he's doing, all sorts of stuff. He makes it a little vague and fuzzy so we have to keep pressing into him deeper. And there's a second reason too. He also wants us to depend on each other. If he spoke to us that explicitly so we could be 100% confident we know exactly what we need to do and exactly what God's speaking to us, we could just be little islands unto ourselves receiving communications from God and going about our daily lives. He doesn't want us to do that. What he wants to do is speak to us a little bit and we go, oh, I want, it's, it's God, are you saying this? And then we got to go, we got to bring in, you know, our spouse or, our, or some family or some trusted or leaders from the church and people we're submitted under and wise people in our lives. We bring them in and say, I, I think God is maybe saying this. And, but loosely, with lots of words like maybe and do you think and, and what is God saying? And then we're discerning together getting advice and, 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 and working together like this. That's how God wants it to work in the body together. And so he purposely speaks to us in such a way that we must do that, that we actually need to look for confirmation when we think we're hearing from him. Galatians 6 verse 2 says this, bear one another's burdens. God does not want us to be these islands that just, oh, I can just have got a direct line to God and I don't need anyone else. Bear one another's burdens. He wants us to be humble, confessing to each other, praying to, to uh, not to each other, praying with each other, and listening together, discerning, getting into the Word together, bear one another's burdens, 
and so fulfill the law of Christ. Third reason why you need to look for confirmation, and this one's really important as well, very important, because listening prayer is not a magic pill substitute for other creation principles. Listening prayer is not a magic pill substitute for other creation principles. For example, a guy at this church one time, okay? And by the way, good guy, really good guy. Loves God and all that, amazing. And, and the whole story turns out good too. Anyway, he decides one day, he's looking between these two doctrines, this doctrine and this doctrine, doctrine A, doctrine B. Which one am I supposed to believe, God? So what he does, instead of studying, instead of coming to someone and asking for advice and getting some books to read and getting into the word for himself, he goes into his bedroom, shuts the door, does some listening prayer and says, God, which doctrine should I believe? And within a few seconds, he gets a verse comes to his mind. He's excited. God's talked to me. And it's a verse that, out of context, seems to interpret that it must be doctrine A. And he's excited. Oh, this is amazing. God spoke to me. And the only problem is he picked the wrong doctrine. Now he starts to talk about it to other people. Now we have to get together with this guy and show him, uh, I know that you heard, think you heard a verse in listening prayer, but that doesn't, I know, and I know you think that, I mean, if I heard a verse, then it has to be God, but let me show you why this is the wrong doctrine because of this, 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 and this, and lots of thises. And basically, what he had, and some people, again, they're shaken. Well, how can I hear, here's the, how can I hear a verse and have that be the wrong thing? Well, listening prayer isn't a substitute for things like, you know, theologians, people who are gifted and study the scriptures and for systematic study on your own. You know, God made the universe with certain principles. And one of the principles was when a person wants to really learn something, it's going to take a time-intensive process of learning, which will include things like reading and listening to people who are wiser than you and studying and discussion. That's how you learn. Listening prayer is not a shortcut to get you past that time-intensive process of work. And so I want to show you three things that listening, and there's more things, but just three that I have time for briefly. Three things that listening prayer does not replace. Number one, like I just said, listening prayer does not replace systematic study of the Bible. Okay? Joshua 1.8 says this, This book of the law, which was the Bible as they had at that point, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Listening prayer is not a substitute for much time reading and meditating on Scripture, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Psalm 1, verses 1 to 2 says, Blessed, and I know we all want to be blessed here, is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, the Bible, he meditates day and night. Listening prayer is not a substitute or a replacement for systematic study of the Bible. Listening to people who have studied the Bible and submitting under leadership and people who are gifted and and those sorts of things. Number two, listening prayer is not a replacement or a substitute for good advice from other people. And I just referred to this a couple minutes ago. Proverbs 15 verse 22 says this, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. That's a biblical principle. God's word will never be void. It'll never be empty. It'll never end. It's forever. This is a forever principle. Without counsel, plans fail. Even if you add in there, without counsel, but I did listening prayer, it still fails according to this biblical principle if you don't have many advisors. Proverbs eleven fourteen: where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Now, here's the thing. 
When you bring wise people and leaders and different stuff like that into your life to help you discern and make a decision, it's not that you'll necessarily agree with everything they say. But that process of getting them speaking into your life and giving wisdom tempers what you think you're hearing from God and helps in the discerning process, helps you to get rid of the things that are you and get it down to the things that actually are God. Very, very important. And I want to talk one more important principle here under this good advice from other people. Really, this is really important what I'm going to say to you now. When you're making a decision that involves other people, When you're going to make a decision that involves other people, do not make a unilateral decision based solely on what you heard in listening prayer. When you are going to make a decision that affects other people, don't go to them and make a decision for all of them based solely on what you heard in listening prayer. Okay? Now, what do you mean by that? What? I, but God speaks. You might be a leader here of a business or your family, whatever, here in a church. You might say, but I thought we were supposed to hear God for guidance. Yes. What you hear in listening prayer might get the ball rolling in a certain direction. You might come to your team or to your spouse and say, I feel like maybe God is saying this. And then maybe that gets the ball rolling of you guys all discerning together. What do you think? What do you feel? What do you sense? Yes, that is perfectly legitimate. That's how listening prayer should be used. But don't just go to them and say, this is what we're doing because this is what I heard from God. I want to share with you a story from Pastor Ray. This, for me, has been the most helpful, wisdom-giving story on hearing God and following God that I've ever heard in my life. And I watched it happen in my life. It was with with, uh, Pastor Ray, obviously, again, who is my dad. And he shared this story before, but I'm going to share with you again because this story is wisdom, Okay. How this listening prayer, and when you're making a decision with other people, that it affects how this works. And back in the early 1990s, um, Pastor Ray was pastoring his church there in Woodstock, which was the church God led him to start in faith with no financial support. And they had been doing that for, we've been doing that for a number of years. And, but one day God came to him in his devotion time and he said, uh, this chapter of your life is ending and I'm calling you back to Manitoba. And so he hears God. And so he goes to my mom, okay? And uh, he goes to my mom and he says, uh, uh, I think, and now I want you to notice too his language. He doesn't come and say, God's telling us to move, okay? He says, I think God's calling us to, this chapter is over and I think we're supposed to move back to Manitoba. And she said to him, uh, no. So now what did Pastor Ray do next? I wonder what some of you would have done. Did he pull rank and say, I'm the head of the home. Read Ephesians chapter, whatever it is, where it talks about the head of the home. Let's read it right now together. And I got a word from the Lord, and we're going to do it, woman, or we're not going to be blessed because we're going to just obey, and I'm in charge of being obeyed, and I'm responsible to God because I'm the head of the home, and that's what we're going to do. Did he do that? Well, first of all, if any of you who know my mom know that that wouldn't have worked. In fact, it probably would have gotten him killed. But uh, he didn't do that at all. You know what he did? Because you're holding these things loosely. He's not 100% sure because he knows he's human too. So he goes back to God and he says, well, God, if it's really you, then I'm just trusting and you're going to have to speak to her too. And I don't know how much time it was. It was a a few months to a year, somewhere in there, around a year later. um, God spoke to my mom and she she came back down. She said, I think you're right. God's speaking to me now. Now they're moving together as one. Plus, Pastor Ray got confirmation because now God's spoken to someone else separate from him. And you can move and you can have confidence. I think we're doing what the Lord wants us to do. Plus, we're together on this thing. 
Can I just say something, by the way, just an aside off of the listening prayer thing. For all of you married men out there, this is what real headship is, by the way. I mean, there's a lot of pastors and authors out there right now who are really big on this. The man is the head of the home thing. So am I. It's in the Bible. The man is the head of the home. Yes, no question. But where they get weird then is some of them get all manly and gruff and they're like, take charge and make decisions and it's just, I'm responsible to God and so I gotta make the family do right. So I you know, I'm about all sort of stuff. And that's just not, that's not leadership. That's not headship. Leadership is the initiator. Headship is God initiates some of the good things in the family through the man sometimes. Sometimes he'll still do it through the woman. But as the man is the head of the home, he's the initiator of good things. But then he steps back and he allows the Holy Spirit to work in his family. And he gives his wife the right and the time to choose to follow him. If you don't let her choose to follow you, you're not leading her, you're dominating her. Leadership is her following you. I'm giving you wisdom here. So you let the Holy Spirit work with her too and then she can choose to follow. That's how headship works. That's how leadership works. And that's how listening prayer is supposed to work. It's not you unilaterally saying, the Lord told me, now we're going to do this. If he's really telling you and it's for all of you, he's going to tell them to. Number three, listening prayer does not replace common sense, otherwise known as wisdom. Listening prayer is not a replacement for common sense. Let me tell you something. God does not want you coming to him constantly listening in prayer about things you should just automatically already be doing. He gave you the entire book of Proverbs as a book full of wisdom and common sense. Read it and do it. He does not want you constantly coming to him in prayer listening about things you should just automatically already be doing. It's 10 o'clock at night. You're a young man. You're dating a girl you find very attractive. She says to you, well, I think we should go down into my bedroom and watch a movie in the dark by ourselves with the door closed. And you think, you know what? Let's do some listening prayer about that right now to see what God thinks. <laughs> you know, if you do listening prayer on that, I tell you right now, I trust not a single thought that comes into your mind except for run, okay? <laughs> the fact that you are wanting to do listening prayer, that means you're not, you don't have a commitment to righteousness in the first place. You don't need to listen in prayer about things like that. You just need to do and obey. How about finances? You know, my wife, LaDonna, and I, we don't pray every time we get a paycheck. Lord, what do you want us to do with every cent? We have a budget. It's biblical. It's based on biblical principles. We set aside a certain amount every month, a little bit for saving, a whole bunch for giving. We want to be generous. A whole bunch for paying down the debt on our home and for our other expenses. It's called a budget. And yes, Every year, every, you know, a couple times a year, whatever it is, as we feel impressed from the Lord, we'll pray and say, Lord, do you want us to make any adjustments to our budget? But we're not agonizing over every cent we have. Lord, what do you want us to do here? What do you want us to do there? Sometimes when you're just doing listening prayer all the time like that, you're going to get weird. Common sense is in the Bible. Our God is the God who invented wisdom. He invented the universe and its principles. He's not looking to overturn common sense every time you listen to him. Just follow wisdom and you're going to be right 99% of the time. You say 99%, not 100%. Well, sometimes God will tell you to do things that don't seem to be wise. Okay, There is an exception to this. We should not expect it. We should not expect that every time you're going to hear God, he's going to tell you to do something crazy. Some, I know especially the young people sometimes. I've gone through a stage of like this too. You always think God wants to tell you to do some crazy leap of faith. No. 
Again, he's the God of wise principles. He loves wisdom. He is wisdom. But sometimes he'll overturn wisdom. But it's only for one reason. It's to advance his kingdom. It's to advance his kingdom. When God told Abraham, I want you to get up and move to a land, I'll show you. And Abraham didn't even know where he was going. That was, that's not common sense. But God had a plan in mind. When God told Pastor Ray to start a church in Woodstock with no financial backing or support of any kind, that wasn't common sense. When Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell everything he had and give to the poor and come follow him, that wasn't common sense. But there's a common thread through all of them. In all of them, God was raising up someone to advance his kingdom. And so if you feel like God's telling you to do something that goes against common sense, one test right there is, first of all, is this for his kingdom? Because if it's just for you, it's not God. Like if you've racked up thousands of dollars of debt and your credit cards are maxed out and you're standing in Costco and they've got these brand new stereo systems on sale, 50% off, and you go, I just, I feel this peace. I feel peace about that I can go ahead and take advantage of this sale. That's not God, okay? God doesn't just overturn wisdom principles for no reason. And we can usually expect to hear him telling us to do wise things and reminding us to do wise things, all right? Lastly, I want to finish this message. One last point here and one last Bible story. I was praying yesterday. I was saying, Holy Spirit, I want to finish this message with a Bible story. I just felt like I wanted to today. And so I was praying about it. And, and, uh, and this is the story that came to my mind. And then it's the fourth point, the fourth reason. Next week again, we're going to look at the tests. How do you test? How do you get confirmation on what you're hearing from God? How, how do you know that you're hearing accurately? But first, the fourth reason why we need to get confirmation, that is this. Because... Um, the voice, the thoughts that come from our desires sound a lot sometimes like the thoughts that comes from God's voice. It's really easy for us sometimes to mix up what we want and what God's telling us to do. And that is another reason we need to look for confirmation to make sure that we're not just about to make some big decision based on our desires, not on, actually on what God wants us to do. And so let me read you a sobering story. It's a famous story. Numbers chapter 22. It's the story of Balaam. And I want to show you here how sometimes we can fall into deep error and come at cross purposes with God, thinking that we're following God, and in fact, we're following our desires. 22 verse 1, then the people of Israel traveled to the plains of Moab. So they're coming out of Egypt now. They've come through the, the desert, and they're coming into the promised land. And they come up to the country of Moab, and they camped east of the Jordan River, across from Jericho. And Balak, son of Zippor, the Moabite king, had seen everything the Israelites did to the Amorites. And when the people of Moab saw how many Israelites there were, they were terrified. And the king of Moab said to the elders of Midian, This mob will devour everything in sight, like an ox devours grass in the field. So Balak, king of Moab, sent messengers to call Balaam, son of Beor, who was living in his native land of Pethor near the Euphrates River. His message said, Look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt. They cover the face of the earth and are threatening me. Please come and curse these people for me because they are too powerful for me. Then perhaps I will be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I know that blessings fall on any people you bless and curses fall on any people you curse. Balak's messengers, who were elders of Moab and Midian, set out with money to pay Balaam and to place a curse upon Israel. They went to Balaam and delivered Balak's message to him. Right? So now the story's going to start to get interesting here. Stay here overnight, Balaam said. So these guys are coming to bless Balaam to curse the Israelites. So Balaam says, stay here overnight. In the morning, I will tell you whatever the Lord directs me to say. So we're off to a good start. He's going to listen to God. So the officials from Moab stayed there with Balaam. That night, God came to Balaam and asked him, who are these men visiting you? 
And Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me this message. Look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come and curse these people for me. Then perhaps I will be able to stand up to them and drive them from the land. But God told Balaam, and I want you to see how clear this is, do not go with them. Don't go with them. You are not to curse these people, for they have been blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and told Balak's officials, so good start here, he's going to obey. Go on home, the Lord will not let me go with you. But Balak tried again. So look at this, he's going to up the ante now. This time he sent a larger number of even more distinguished officials than those he had sent the first time. They went to Balaam and delivered this message to him. This is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Please don't let anything stop you from coming to help me. I will pay you very well. So he sends even more powerful officials, even more wealthy officials, and more money, I'll pay you very well. And do whatever you tell me. Just come and curse these people for me. But Balaam responded to Balak's messengers, so now he gives them a good response again. It looks spiritual. Even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord my God. Now watch this. Again, this is going to look very spiritual. But stay here one more night, and I will see if the Lord has anything else to say to me. Now I want you to think about this. Sounds very good. I'm going to listen to God one more time. But I want you to think about this. A couple days ago, God told him, do not go with them. And what has changed in the last couple of days? The only thing that's changed is they want to pay him more money. Now, do you think God is going to change his, day, his mind in a couple of days based on a little bit more money? Is he going to go, oh, Balaam, this is great. And you can tithe on this. It'll be great. <laughs> no, God hasn't changed his mind because they brought, bring him a little more money. He already gave Balaam clear instructions. Do not go with them. Balaam should not be listening here. He should just be obeying. The moment they come to his door and say, we want you to curse the Israelites, it's like, see you guys, goodbye, go away from here. God already told me no, I told you no, the answer is still no. But he doesn't do that because he wants that money. He wants to hear something different in listening prayer. He wants to hear something different from God because he wants to take advantage of this opportunity of a lifetime. This king is offering him basically whatever he wants. So he says, well, I better double check this in prayer. He wants to hear something different. And the scary thing is that God is going to tell him exactly and let him hear exactly what he wants to hear. Balaam is now going with his desires, not with God's desires. That night, God came to Balaam and told him, so look at this. God lets him hear what he wants to hear. Now, since these men have come for you, get up and go with them. But only do what I tell you to do. So the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going. I mean, I, I puzzled over that for a number of years. I'm like, God, you told him to go, so why are you mad that he's going? And the reason is because God clearly told him not to go. But Balaam went back again, hoping that he would change his mind, and God just let him hear what he wanted to hear. But God never wanted him to go. He said, do not go with them. God was angry that Balaam was going, so he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. And of course, there's the whole famous story of the donkey talking to him, and the angel of the Lord standing in his way. And finally, in verse 32, we see again, why did you beat your donkey those three times, the angel of the Lord demanded. Look, I've come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. You are following your desires. You're not following me. Next week, we're going to look at the specific tests. How do you figure out accurately that God is speaking to you and you can be confident about it? But this week, this is what I want you to take away from this message. I want us to hold those words from the Lord just a little more humbly. I want us to hold those things we think we're hearing from God a little more humbly. 
I want us to be just a little less sure. I want us, we need to seek God's voice because it's life. But we need to seek it in a way that causes us to depend on him and causes us to bring in others. We hold these things a little more humbly so we don't get taken away by our own desires and begin to manipulate and control other people with thus saith the Lord. Bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, in this series, Father, out of this series, because of this series, I want us to be able to hear you more righteously and more clearly. I want us to love you more deeply. I pray that, God, that for a spirit of humility on this church, that we would hold a little more loosely the things we think are from you, and that we would spend more time pressing into your presence and discerning with other people what you're telling us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.